But um, one of the things that we did um, was hunt for pippies. Have you done that? Yeah, looking hunt for pippies. And some days you get onto a certain patch of beach and you sort of find ones and twos and all those sorts of things. I think it must have been Friday afternoon we were down there and um, Ivy had a bucket with her and I taught the kids how to sort of, you know, wiggle your hips and um, look like you're dancing on the beach. And I just told them how to do it. I don't demonstrate that very much. And, um, but man, they hit the mother load. Like, I reckon in about half an hour, she found about 50, 60 um, pippies in a bucket. And uh, we went there to go fishing or anything. And so I said to her, when, when we're done, we just let them go again. And um, she had a bucket full of water. And so I told her to walk down closer to the waves and let them go. And um, she didn't. She, she dumped them a little bit too high on the beach. Um, the sand was wet enough that if you've seen pippies, when you let them go, they stand themselves upright and dig down into the sand. So about 50 to 60 pippies disappeared within 10 seconds. Um, it's fascinating to watch. But I knew that they were really not probably on the beach, part of the beach they really wanted to be. It's probably still a little bit too dry for them. They weren't going to get enough water over them. Um, but it was just wet enough to bury themselves. And so Ivy was sort of like, oh, bye, pippies. They all disappeared. And I said, no, just wait. let's watch. Let's watch. And the next wave that came up just, just covered them by about an inch or so of water, 15 millimetres or so. And um, the moment the water covered them, 50 or so pippies literally jumped out of the sand. They just erupt up out of the sand. And they want to be further down the beach more, right? Um, and so the water, as it covers them, they jump out, the water re recedes, and they just get washed further back down the beach. That's how they go back out. If you're ever down the beach walking, you'll see this happen yourself. Not, not 50 at once, generally, but it's quite a sight, all right? And I loved seeing the kid's face when they saw it. Like, their mouth just drops open. And it just, that's incredible. It's amazing the way that God's made these little shellfish to just jump up out of the sand as soon as the right conditions are there. Um, it, was, it was just like they erupted out and just pfft, down the beach. It was incredible. And, and I, I was thinking about it later and just thought, it's, I think if we stop long enough to look at the different things that God makes in this world, we see things that leave us in awe, right? You think, that's, that's incredible. What made them do that? What little instinct did God put into them to make them do that? And there's a way that all creation, to some degree or another, displays something about its creator that should just leave us in a sense of awe. Um, really, it's a way that creation tells us something about the God that made them. It, it proclaims something. It declares something. I think one of my favourite stories, we, we've just passed Christmas now. Christmas is long enough ago that it sort of feels like, oh, yes, the dim, dark recesses of our memory was Christmas. And we're already getting towards the end of January. Um, we're being bombarded, if you walk down the shops, by Valentine's Day-themed things, because that's the next big thing on the calendar. Shortly after that, of course, we'll be, what? Hot cross buns will hit the... Are they already out? Shows you how often I go to the shops. It's ridiculous. But that's the next big calendar event, you know, right? Easter. 
One of my favourite stories from um, the Gospels are that day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, not on a horse like everyone expected him to, like a victorious king, that day will come. Um, This time he was riding on a donkey. And of course we know, if you know the story of Easter, eventually the crowd's pretty fickle bunch, they all turn around and they're, you know, we don't want this man to rule over us and let's send him to the cross. Um, And they hang Jesus on a cross and crucify him. But, wow, the day that he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, it was a bit different, wasn't it? The crowds were singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king, right? And they were throwing down their robes and, and ripping off branches off palm trees so that, you know, Jesus' donkey didn't have to walk in the mud or something. And it was all this very symbolic thing. And Marty was reminding us about prophecies of the Old Testament and there was these prophetic things that were coming true on that day but there were some people there that didn't like it Um, some very um, sort of upper class um, religious leaders and they were getting a bit sort of like oh this crowd's really unruly Uh, they're getting to be getting about a hand and so they go to say Jesus hey Jesus can you quieten the people down a little bit this is all getting a little bit too Pentecostal and um (laughs) And Jesus turns around to them and says, no can do. This is, it was in Hebrew, so he didn't say no can do. But um, something like that. He said, no can do. Um, Listen, even if I could, even if I did tell everyone to be quiet, guess what would happen? The rocks would call out, right? This was a momentous occasion in the entire history of the world. If if the people don't sing the declarations of Jesus, even the rocks would start doing that. Or Pippi's mine. Or the bird that sings outside that you sort of think, oh, why is that bird singing so early in the morning waking me up? It's singing because it knows its creator. Right? It's what creation does. It declares, it proclaims the glory of God. I want you to grab your Bibles. We're going to talk about the glory of God today. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 19, one of my favourite Psalms. We're just going to read a few verses from the beginning of it. I want you to think about the way that, that this whole world, all created things. Now, we, we heard this morning from Genesis in the beginning, right, there was just God. And, and the earth was void, nothing there. Darkness covered the waters. Psalm 19, verse 1. I'm going to read from the Christian Stand Bible, says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. Right? The expanse proclaims the work of his hands day after day they they pour out speech night after night they communicate knowledge there is no speech there are no words their voice is not heard their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world 
In the heavens, he's pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices after an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and it circles to the other end. Nothing's hidden from its heat, and the psalm goes on. Go back to verse 1 again. The heavens declare, right? The expanse proclaims. The rocks would cry out. Pippies will jump out of the sand. But everything that God has made understands something about its creator. And what that understanding does is it loosens their lips, it lifts up their eyes, and they cannot help but proclaim the glory of God. I want you to notice, it doesn't say that the heavens reflect the glory of God. That's a different thing. They, of course it does to a certain degree, right? We look at the stars at night. Have you ever been out on a really dark night and you look up and you see the stars? And to a certain degree, we know that they, that they reflect something about their creator. But this is not just a reflection of God's glory. This is a proclamation of God's glory. The heavens are actually singing, they're declaring, they're proclaiming, and they're saying, God is glorious. God is glorious. And we've been talking over the course of January about unique characteristics that make God, God. God is glorious in a way that nothing else is. Now, we throw the word glory around pretty pretty loosely. We we say things that are... um, We we overstate things a lot. Um... You get a burger, like a good burger, not just a, I'm not, not Macca's burger or KFC, that's not really burgers, but like a really good burger and someone might just say, how, how was the burger? You're like, it was amazing. We might even say it was glorious. Right? Or that first cup of coffee in the morning, or first cup of tea, you know, Hits the mouth and you go, oh, glorious, right? Now, those things might be pretty amazing, but God is uniquely above all of that. So much so that the creation will sing about it, tell about it. God is uniquely glorious in a way that everything is meant to bend its affections and its vision towards him and recognize the glory of God. That we might see God more than the stars, more than pippies jumping out of the sand, more than the bird that sings, as much as all those things might make our jaw drop and we might be in awe of them, we're meant to see them and then go, oh, hang on. The God who made them, that they declare and sing about, is uniquely more glorious than even that. In fact, that's one of the problems that Paul had when he wrote to the church in Rome in the opening chapters of his book, Romans. A passage in there that talks about the fact that one of the the uniquely, um, distinctively sinful problems that we have as human beings is that we have seen the things that God made and we start to worship the creation rather than the creator, right? 
So we see things that God makes and we just go, that's glorious. And so we begin to worship them. But we've ignored the God of glory who crafted them. We have a glory problem as humans. That could mean that we seek glory for ourselves. That is a problem. That is something which is, yep, that's a sin problem. Where I start to set myself up as being worthy of glory, worthy of you recognizing my glory. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve, right? That was the great temptation in the garden. The serpent says to Eve, you could be like God. In what way? Well, in the sense that I could be self-sufficient or that I could be self-directing. I won't have anyone to tell me what to do. But ultimately, you could be like God and you could be worshipped. There's a problem. The other problem that we have with glory is that we misdirect our affection for glory. We find lesser things glorious and ignore the most glorious things. That's a problem too, isn't it? So that's my first point, right? The heavens declare. Even stars and rocks and pippies will call out, God is glorious. The whole world is shouting at us, look at the glory of God, look at the glory of God. Recognize God's glory. See him as being glorious. So how do we respond? Well, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. Sin, as it enters the world, as it runs its course throughout humanity, sin on its own is a massive subject. We could spend weeks and weeks and months and months exploring the effect that it has. But here's something that I find fascinating from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about what Satan does to our vision. What does Satan do to the way that we look at this world? In particular, the way that the world, remember, is declaring and proclaiming the glory of God So read with me. We don't read just probably the first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to highlight something as we go through. Uh, Let me just put this in context for a moment. There were a lot of people in the city of Corinth in the first century who Paul knew. Paul had led them to know Jesus and helped the church start there. And some other people came along and started sort of bad-mouthing Paul and saying, look, Paul's just out uh, for his own glory. Paul's, um, don't listen to Paul, right? Paul's going to lead you up the garden path. And Paul partly writes this letter as a way to sort of try and reassure that the church in Corinth, hey guys, I really do love you and I have your best interest at heart. And in fact, God, God has been using me and the other apostles there to help establish you in your faith. And so this little part in chapter four kind of fits into that little argument that Paul has Um, a little encouragement for the church there. So let's just read chapter 4, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. 
Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. What Paul's saying is, guys, we came to you openly. We didn't trick you. We didn't distort things. We just simply told you the good news of the gospel and we did it very plainly. Verse 3. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see what happens here? Paul's Paul's just saying, listen, we didn't come and trick you. We didn't hide the gospel away. We didn't veil it behind something. You know, sort of sneak it in and just sort of do a surprise attack with the gospel or anything. Paul said, we were very upfront, we were very open about the gospel. But he says, but, verse 3, but if our gospel is veiled in any way, if our gospel is hidden, if the truth of the grace of Jesus is hidden in any way, he says, it's hidden to those who are perishing. There are people who are dying without Jesus. And he says, in their case, in verse 4, in their case, the God of this age, he's talking about Satan, right? The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing something. Did you see what it was in that text? All right. To keep them from seeing glory. There's a problem that we have. The, the universe is shouting it to us, right? Look at the glory of God. Look at it. It's astounding. Everything around you is saying, look up. See the glory. But we can live with our eyes shrouded. Our eyes blinded. Satan is doing everything that he can in this world. He's doing everything he can in your life. To stop you from seeing glory. Because glory makes all the difference. Glory changes things. If you see what true glory is, your life will never be the same again. And Satan knows it. And so he's doing everything he can to blind the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Right? He doesn't want them to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is a good news. That's what gospel means. Good news. There's good news out here, people. God is glorious and his glory is shown in Jesus. Right? That's the good news in a nutshell. And yet, for so long, for so long in my life, maybe for so long in your life, maybe even now, There's a sense where we walk through life shielded and shrouded and veiled to glory. We do not want to see the glory. Or at least Satan doesn't want to see the glory. He doesn't want to see you see the glory. Because God's glory will leave you in awe. Once you've seen that glory, all other glories can start to seem tarnished. 
Isn't that a problem even for those of us who are followers of Jesus this morning? If you are a Christian, let me be honest, it's one of the problems I've faced in my life. Seeing things that maybe are good, sometimes not, sometimes they're actually harmful. They're damaging to us. And I see them and I place or attribute glory to them that they shouldn't have. Right? I start to pursue and chase those things as being glorious. And meanwhile, God's glory just becomes almost an afterthought. Satan does what he can to shroud your eyes to glory. The God of this age, Paul says, shrouds, veils, covers over our eyes and our hearts so that we will not recognize glory. Uh, But God's glory is even bigger than that. I want you to keep reading that same passage. We read up to about verse 3. Verse 4, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, Paul again directs the attention back to himself a little bit. He says, for we are not proclaiming ourselves. Listen, here, here I am, Paul says to the church in Corinth, I'm not here about myself. I'm not proclaiming myself, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Right? And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, now this is verse 6, this is what I want you to notice now, this is the next point. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's what's happening. The heavens are declaring, right? The glory of God. All of creation proclaiming, look at the glory, look at the glory. Satan, though, he's doing whatever he can to blind our eyes to glory. He doesn't want us us to see it. Or misdirecting your attention to other things, lesser things, and says, no, no, that's glorious. Pursue that. And sometimes we fall for it. So while Satan is trying to blind our eyes, Paul says, listen, there's a God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. Let there be light. Genesis 1. That dark Uh, world, that darkness that covered the waters of the deep where nothing existed and there was just God. And then God said, what? Let there be light. And the next verse says, and there was. There was. When God speaks, creation obeys. And Paul says, listen, the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness... He has shone in our hearts to give what? To give what? What has He shone into our hearts with? Verse 6 tells us, to give us the light of the knowledge. Now, knowledge about what? 
Is it? Knowledge about the Bible, knowledge about all the things that we should know, knowledge about the Ten Commandments, maybe. Knowledge about uh, Marty's supporty 40 that we did last year. You can, all 40 verses, you know them off by heart. God shone on our light to give us the knowledge of memory verses. All of those things are good. But look what it says. He shone on our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. And more specifically, the glory of God as we see it in Jesus. So the heavens are declaring it. Right? Look at the glory. Look at the glory. Satan is saying, don't look at the glory. Cover your eyes. Don't recognize it. But the good news is, Jesus in Christ has shown us what glory really is. God has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Glory makes all the difference. God's glory makes all the difference. All right, I wanted to show you one more passage before we're done. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole chapter straight through, 14 verses, and then we just make a couple of observations about it. Revelation 5, this is John on the island of Patmos, and uh, Jesus comes and visits him in a vision and shows him heavenly places and things that are to come. And this is one of the things that John saw and recorded. Revelation chapter 5. It says, then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. This is important for me because I often don't like new songs. I like old songs. But heaven's going to be filled with new songs too. Here's the new song that they sang, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased 
people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands and thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Remember where we started? Pippies. Giving glory. Right? I think John saw them. There were creatures there. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea. Pippies. Everything in them. And they were all saying, Blessing, honor, glory, power. Right? We started by saying that the heavens are declaring, but we have a problem. We ignore it because Satan's blinding our eyes continually. Don't look at the glory. And Jesus is saying, no, look at the glory. I am the glory of God. And in fact, that's what we will do for an eternity. For an eternity, we will just be mesmerized by the glory and power and worth of God. You are worthy. You are worthy is the song of heaven. Wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, it all belongs to Jesus. Look at the glory is the, throne, is the, is the great theme of heaven, right? Look at the glory. The heavens declare God's glory. Satan blinds us to God's glory. Salvation occurs when we recognize the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. He said, hey, God shone into our hearts. We were in darkness and God shone into our hearts and he he gave us the knowledge of God's glory seen in the face of Jesus. And eternity is filled with worshiping the God of glory. So the question remains... Where are you finding glory? Where am I finding glory? Either the pursuit of glory, but also more subtly, where do we go outside of ourselves to try and seek glory? We we love to look at glorious things. It's the way that we're designed. We're part of God's creation. We're meant to recognize the glory of God. And so we're designed to seek glorious things. Where have you seen it? Where are you looking for it? The heavens are telling you, look at the glory of God. Look at it. Right? They're proclaiming it. Satan's doing what he can to blind you from seeing it. But it's only found in Jesus. 
true glory that's satisfied will only ever be found in Jesus. So much so, whether eternity was a thousand years long or a hundred thousand years long, or thousands upon thousands, beyond measure and beyond count, we will never tire of singing new songs and creating new songs and making up new songs that all say, look at the glory of God. There's the Lamb. Isn't He glorious? Look at Jesus. He's so glorious. We'll never tire of it. Because glory, God's glory, satisfies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for showing us the glory of God. Lord, if we don't sing about it, will you get the rocks to remind us? If we fail to see it, will you help the stars shout loud enough as they proclaim, look at the glory? Lord, I thank you that Satan, as hard as he might try to blind us from your glory, has already lost, defeated at the cross. We thank you that glory can be found in the lamb that was slaughtered, the lamb that was slain. Lord, open our eyes to see your glory. Let your glory radically transform and change our lives so that we might be prepared and ready to start even now what will be our favorite pastime for eternity, and that is singing songs about the glory of the Lamb. Lord, you are glorious and we love you. Forgive us the times that we have turned our attention to lesser things and looking for glory and remind us again, Lord. Lift our vision and our eyes to see you, to see a, the face of Jesus. And keep our heart's attention fixed there, Lord, today and every day that follows. For your sake, for your glory. Amen.